Matthew 28, and I'm reading from verse 1. Matthew 28, and reading from verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the, t- the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that on that that first Easter Sunday morning, you raised your son to new life, offering us hope, offering us new life. And we pray that as we look into your word this morning, that we would see and believe and receive that new life that you have to offer, that hope of life after death. We pray that you would speak to us through the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, working in each one of us, and in Jesus' name. Amen. And this Easter at uh, Lum Baptist Church, we've been uh, trying to do Easter in three words. And uh, if you're with us on Good Friday, you will be uh, aware of this, and you'll know that the three words for Friday were... It is finished. Thank you. That's right. Three words for Friday was, it is finished. And uh, on uh, on Easter Sunday morning, uh, we've got three more words for you. And you'll never guess <laughs> what they are. You'll just never be able to guess it. Um, he has risen. And uh, I just want to try something, okay? Just go with me on this. I want you over here, even though some of you are women, to say, he. Okay, if you do that, try it. He. I want you in the middle to say, as. Okay. And you over here to shout. Okay. So we'll just try that. Okay, over here. The great thing about this is it works whichever way you do it because you can go. Prison, past, 
you can even go. It's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. And uh, of course, so is the resurrection. The resurrection is just um, amazing. And just like Friday, again, just bear with me. When I say, he has, will you shout? Risen. Risen, yeah. You know, as loud as you like. And if you want to jump out of your seats, and that's okay. Just for a bit of fun. So, he has risen. And... Uh, There's three things I want to say. Three words and three things I want to say about these uh, three words. And the first thing is the resurrection problem. And you say, what? I didn't know there was a problem. Is there a problem with the resurrection? And I'm calling the problem with the resurrection the aftermath. The problem with the resurrection, the aftermath. And I got this idea as I was reading the, uh, the resurrection accounts. Sometimes we miss little details, don't we? We get so excited and we know the story so well. And uh, one, one of the things that I noticed is that there was a violent earthquake. Do you remember that? Uh, a violent earthquake. Uh, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone. Uh, I'm not sure that... Uh, I'm not sure where our angel is out here. I'm not sure how our angel does, does credit... To what scripture says, really, doesn't it? it doesn't, our angel doesn't look like the sort of angel that would uh, appear uh, from a violent earthquake. Uh, but one of the things about an earthquake is after an earthquake, um, what you get is, is, is an aftermath, don't you? Uh, everything's messed up. Uh, you've ever seen pictures on the television of, of places, apparently there's an earthquake in, in Birmingham, uh, or an earth tremor, perhaps we should say, rather than a, a quake. Um, so, I don't know if, has anybody ever experienced an earthquake? Yeah, one or two people, wow, yeah. Uh, and if it's a really violent earthquake, it makes a mess of everything, doesn't it? Everything gets messed up, and that's where I get the idea of the aftermath, because it seems to me uh, that with this violent earthquake and, uh, and the tomb uh, being empty, uh, the aftermath was that, that people was like, well, what's going on? And... The problem, of course, with the resurrection is, is as you read the different accounts, uh, if we were to look at the account in John, uh, the Easter story is full of people getting it wrong. In John's Gospel, uh, Mary thinks Jesus' body has been stolen. Peter sees the, 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 uh, the, the linen wrapping around Jesus, and can't, around the, the empty cloth, rather, and can't make head and tail of it. Disciples, it says, didn't understand the scriptures. Uh, the angel questioned Mary, and she still doesn't know what's going on. And she thinks Jesus is the gardener. And then it seems she reaches out to, out to him to cling on to him, and he tells her she mustn't. You could hardly, one person says, you could hardly get more misunderstandings into a couple of paragraphs if you tried. And of course, if you look at the different accounts of the, uh, of the resurrection, they don't actually add up. They're not all the same. I was reading in, uh, in Christianity uh, magazine. It's a great magazine because they've got a, a page for uh, the sceptic, which I quite like, kind of appeals to me. Uh, and there's this sceptic's uh, writing, why uh, I can't believe in the resurrection. And one of the things that he says is, uh, he's talking about the different accounts. He says, who actually does go to the tomb that morning? Is it Mary Magdalene by herself or with other women? And with how many? And 
What were the names? It depends on which gospel you read. Was the stone rolled away before or after they got there? It depends on which gospel you read. What did they see when they got there? Was it one man or two? Or was it an angel? It depends on which gospel you read. Did they tell anyone? Mark says they didn't tell anyone. Matthew says they ran and told the disciples. So which is it? It depends on which gospel you read. That's the skeptics. That's the skeptics Easter. I don't think it's quite as exciting as the believers Easter myself. Uh, but there is a, there is a problem in, in, in trying to, to match up all these different accounts. Uh, if you're the sort of person that wants everything to, to work nice and orderly. But the point of Easter, of course, is that Easter bursts into our world, out of space and time and matter. Uh, it's a real event in history, uh, but getting our minds or even our imaginations, uh, really, they are too small for us to comprehend what was going on. I tried to picture it in that opening video that we, we saw, uh, you know, Jesus... Uh, rising from the dead. The interesting thing about the Gospels is none of the Gospels tell us how it actually happens. They just say that he has... Or they could say... He has That's all they tell us. They don't explain it, how it happened. And, and if you've got an inquisitive mind, you might think, well, how did that happen? Uh, most people, when they die, sadly, they remain dead. And Jesus comes back to life because he has that's right and uh, Easter is the fact of the matter that Jesus has risen the first Christians weren't prepared for what actually happened nobody was expecting the resurrection even though Jesus had told his disciples time and time again that the son of man must suffer and uh, and die and on the third day he will be raised Jesus had told the disciples that once, twice, maybe even three times, probably more, and the disciples didn't get it. They certainly weren't expecting it. They didn't believe it. They all scattered when Jesus was arrested, and when he was crucified, there was only the women and John who were there to see. The rest of the disciples were nowhere to be seen. Nobody was expecting the resurrection. Why would they? Nothing like that had ever happened before. And so... The resurrection problem is the aftermath. Everyone's left all over the place. Nobody knows what's happening. Nobody can make sense of it. They needed somebody to come along and and put it into a nice, neat and orderly pattern so that they could understand it. And of course, the gospel writers, the fact that they all tell different stories actually seems to add validity to it. Because if somebody had had made the story up like some of the, uh, the skeptics, Think, you know, they think, well, at least they've got the story right. They'd have compared notes. All of us who have ever been children, we will know that when something goes wrong and we've got to concoct a story, that we make sure that we're going to get it right. That you know what you were supposed to have done and I know what I'm supposed to have done and it was somebody else's fault. And we practice and we rehearse the story so that we get it right. And of course, the gospel writers are just giving the accounts of the different people from what they remember. And anyone will know as you try to recall events, sometimes we recall, even though we might have been at the same event, we recall it differently. It doesn't alter the fact that the event happened. So that's the resurrection problem. It's the aftermath. And uh, of course, when there's a violent earthquake, when God raises his son back to life, we should expect there to be something of an aftermath. But that's not all. Because he has... Or... 
The second thing is the resurrection proof. And I'm calling that the after effects. The after effects. Because the disciples were greatly affected by the resurrection. And so after the after math comes the after effects. The after effects. When the, the women get to the disciples and tell the disciples what's happened, we read that they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. The women's words about the fact that they'd met the risen Jesus seemed like nonsense. I like that word, nonsense. Because it seems to me that the, the resurrection of Jesus is nonsensical, if that's a word. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. And let me let you into a little secret. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to make sense. We can't make sense of something that is impossible, that is incredible, that has never happened before. We can't make sense of it. And so that's why, for resurrection proof, we just have to look at the after effects. And the after effects, well, they're a little bit better than the aftermath, but they they, they affected people differently, didn't they? Um, The soldiers and Pilate concocted a story to explain how... Uh, Jesus' body had gone. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met and the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them what to say. His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. So the resurrection happened while they were sleeping. One of the after effects. But you see, I don't know about you, but if you've read much of the Bible, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Uh, It doesn't paint a picture that we can readily understand. Nothing about Jesus' life makes sense. The virgin birth, it doesn't make sense. That's not how births normally happen. The healing stories, again, those are things that don't normally happen. Multiplying loaves and fishes, feeding 5,000 people. Anybody make any sense of that? I can. His willingness to go willingly to the cross doesn't make any sense. Didn't make any sense to the disciples. None of it makes any sense. The disciples' first response was to say, it's nonsense. And I say, amen. Doesn't make sense to me either. But what I do know is that he has or Some people might say, but we say, just checking you're still with me. I know it would be easier to believe if we had concrete evidence, wouldn't it? We all like a bit of concrete evidence, don't we? Uh, Thomas, of course, is, is famous for, for doubting. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas wasn't going to believe anything unless he saw it for himself. And of course, down the centuries, how many people 
have thought exactly like Thomas did. I did, for one. I can remember thinking quite stubbornly, I'm not going to believe anything. I'm not going to believe anything anybody tells me about God unless I experience it for myself. And lots of people have said exactly the same thing. Because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. The only evidence, the resurrection proof, the only evidence that we do have is the empty tomb. The fact that everybody went to the tomb and it was empty. None of the Gospels actually describe how the resurrection took part, how it actually happened. We're trying to prove the existence of something by saying, what's not there? We believe if the tomb is empty, then it must mean that he's not there. And that's what the angel says, isn't it? He's not here. He has risen. Or? The world's promises are very often full of emptiness. People make all sorts of promises. How many of you have been online when something pops up and says, you know, press this button, you're the 10,000th person and you could win a prize. Or enter this free prize draw. So often the world's promises are full of emptiness. But on Easter Sunday, God gave us emptiness that was full of promise. God gave us emptiness that was full of promise. The resurrection proof, the after effects. If you want proof for the resurrection, then you have to discover it for yourself. You have to find out for yourself. You have to make that journey to the tomb and you have to peer inside and look at the empty tomb and draw your own conclusions. You have to do what the disciples did. Listen to the stories of other people. They listened to the stories of the women. They listened to what other disciples were saying. Some of them believed. Some of them didn't believe. Some of them wanted more proof than others. John, we read, he just looks at the, at the empty grave clothes and he believes straight away. Peter wonders what's happening and wanders away wondering. Different people uh, responding different uh, Ways. That's the after effects of the resurrection. But really, what we want to talk about is the resurrection promise. The resurrection promise. We've had the aftermath, we've had the after effects, and of course the resurrection promise is about the afterlife. People still wonder, don't they, about the afterlife. Uh, whether there is an afterlife or not. Uh, We know for sure that after death there can be life because he has or the world's promises are full of emptiness but on Easter Sunday God gave us emptiness that was full of promise. Nothing in our lives can help us make sense of the resurrection. Don't try and make sense of it. But the resurrection can help us make sense of our lives. 
The resurrection can help us make sense of our lives. Sometimes life is brutal, it's unfair. It only makes sense through the resurrection. Whether we're dealing with grief, the loss of a job, a battle with illness, the problems with aging parents, The empty tomb puts all our sorrow into perspective. When we know that Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow. The promise of the resurrection is real. Our response is not to try and make sense of it and understand it, but to accept it in faith. And to do the same as some of them did on that first Easter morning. The resurrection promise of the afterlife. The fact that he has Or, the response of the women when suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clapped his feet, and worshipped him. That was their response. They accepted the resurrection promise, and they responded in worship. Even Thomas, uh, eventually, When Jesus comes into the room and says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Thomas's response is to say to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And uh, Tom Wright makes the point that he's the first person in the book to look at Jesus of Nazareth and address the word God directly to him. Yet this is what John has been working round to from the beginning of his gospel. The resurrection promise is a promise of the fact that death is not the end. If we want to, we can stay rooted in, in, in death and in the past. And we can wonder about the historical validity of the resurrection. We can stay rooted if we want in our own past. Fretting over things we've done, beating up ourselves over things we haven't done. But Matthew's account makes one thing very clear. Without doubt, Jesus is not back there. He's not back there. He's here. Because he has... Or... Six o'clock this morning, some of us gathered together on a hillside. And yes, we did see the sun rising for the second year on the run. I'm told that it's only the second time in, in, uh, in recent years that this has ever happened. So two years on the run. And there we were. And if you want proof of the resurrection, then just ask the question, why would these people get up at five o'clock in the morning and gather on a hillside in the cold? Why? Because they are living proof of the fact that Jesus is alive, that he has or The author John Purdy said, God is not in the past, shut up in a tomb of our sins and our youthful indiscretions, our wasted opportunity, our shattered hopes and dreams. God is ahead of us in our future, out there, freeing us from the past, easing the pain, 
feeding the hungry, making for peace, washing the feet, raising the dead. God is ahead of us. And he's out there waiting for us to get moving. Do you want proof that Jesus rose from the dead? Okay, I've got proof. Look around. You are the evidence for the resurrection. You are the aftermath, the after effects, and the believers in the afterlife. You are the proof that Christ is risen and alive and at work in the world. When you live with a resurrection perspective, when you allow the strength of Christ to be your strength, And the love of Christ to be your love. When you endure and persevere and overcome through your faith in Christ Jesus, you become the proof of his vibrant power. And you testify to his living grace. When you live in expectance of the resurrection in your life, your lives become a living testimony. When you expect resurrection in your life, you become a living testimony that shouts, He has risen. You see, the tomb is empty. And I don't know what you came here this morning expecting. But you see, if you're not expecting resurrection, then you probably won't find it. Those people whose, whose dreams have died, whose hopes are in the grave, who feel that there's nothing left worth living for, you need to know about resurrection. Because in resurrection, God brings things that are dead back to life. And the resurrection means that those of us that have had hopes that have failed and seemed dead, that Jesus can resurrect those hopes. Relationships that seem broken and failed can be resurrected. And those that have given up in faith, and have allowed faith to die, Jesus can bring that faith back to life because the tomb is empty and he has or Easter is about the fact that God brings new life. The resurrection problem, the aftermath, the, it, it was a mess. The resurrection proof, the after effects, well, some people believed and some people struggled to believe and some people made up different stories about what had happened. But we see the effects in the people's lives. And the resurrection promise is that the grave is not the end. That Jesus not only rose from the grave on that first Easter Sunday, but he is alive today because he has risen. Or, this is the last one, so you better go for it. Amen. Let's pray.